Well, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 is where we will spend time together in God's Word this morning as we continue a series that we began last week, Emmanuel, God with us. As we come to this Christmas season, as we think about all that took place in Bethlehem with Jesus being born, we know the story, but my hope and my prayer over these four weeks together as we look at the theological significance of God coming in the flesh. That's been our task, and we will continue this morning as we look at a message entitled, We Have Seen His Humility. I want you to think about this with me for a second. Who is the most humble person that you have ever met? If your first thought is, well, it's probably me, <laughs> you've missed the boat on what humility is all about, right? For me, it was my great-grandfather, a man who was wildly successful as a farmer, but yet one of the most humble men that I've ever met in my entire life, always concerned about other people instead of himself, always looking for how he could make someone else's life better than focusing primarily on himself. And what we see in Jesus' coming is that example of humility on display. And Paul in Philippians chapter 2 is going to unpack that for us this morning. And so I want to read the text for us, and then as we do every week, we'll dive back in together. And as we leave this morning, my hope and my prayer is that we would see in Jesus humility in action. This is what Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Father, we ask this morning as we open your word that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. That you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. 
that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Last week, as we looked at John chapter 1, we took note of the fact that we have seen in Jesus the glory of God on display. God in the flesh. And as we think about that this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together in these verses in Philippians chapter 2. It's this truth. In Jesus, we see perfect humility in action. And we have everything we need to imitate him. You see, Paul's discussion in Philippians chapter 2 is not simply to say, hey, look at Jesus and the humility that he displayed in taking on flesh and coming and dwelling among you, the humility he displayed in going to the cross on our behalf. Paul's not only concerned with us taking note of that. What he desires is that that would transform the way that we live our lives that we would imitate Jesus in the way that we live. We would live as he lived. In fact, if you look at the beginning of Philippians chapter 1, you're going to see Paul outline very clearly for the Philippians, this is what Jesus Christ has done for you. This is the transformation that when you trusted in Jesus for your salvation that he brought about in your life, he has radically transformed your life. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, the same thing is true of you. He has radically transformed your life. He has taken you from being dead in your sin to being alive in Christ. He's taken you from being an enemy of God to being part of the family of God. This is Paul's declaration for this group of believers in Philippi, this is what Christ has done for you. And then the latter part of Philippians chapter 1, he says to them, in light of all of that, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In light of what Christ has done in your life, let your life now be a shining light in this world of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And Paul doesn't write this just in the context of individual believers, but collectively this group of believers in Philippi. And to them, he's going to outline for them, here's what my desire is for you that you would have the same mind that Christ Jesus exemplified in his life and in his death, that you would have the mind of Christ, and that through that, as a group of believers, that it would transform the world that's around you. See, here's the reality for us as followers of Jesus this morning, that the transformation we long to see in the world around us first must come through the transformation we've personally experienced in our own lives. And so with that as the context of Philippians chapter 2, I want you to take note in verses 1 and 2 of this first truth that we see. As believers... We have the proper tools needed, the proper motivation needed to live a life 
of humility. Notice in verse 1, Paul writes, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... I want you to notice that as Paul is writing that, he is not in any means doubting that these things are true in the life of these believers. He's not saying, well, if you feel like these things are true. No, what he's saying is, since this is true, you say, well, pastor, what's true? As a follower of Jesus, he says, since you have encouragement in Christ. You say, well, what is that encouragement as followers of Jesus that we have in Christ? Can I just phrase it in one word? Everything. Everything. You say, that's a cop-out. No, it's true. Everything that we've experienced because of Christ is an encouragement to us lifts us up from the depths of where we were to where we are now because of what Christ has done for us. Follower of Jesus, just let me remind you that you have everything, not because you earned it, but because of what Christ has done for you. And that is for us as believers, encouragement in our lives. But Paul says not only that to these believers, but if you have any comfort from love, And of course, he's not doubting that they've experienced the love of God. In fact, he has previously said to them, this is exactly what you've experienced. See, what Paul is doing is he's about to unload on them, here's what I want you to do. But in preparing them for what he wants them to do, the way in which he wants them to live, the fact that he wants them to have the mind of Christ as they live in this world, he's going to lay the groundwork of what Christ has done for them. They've experienced encouragement because of what Christ has done. They've experienced comfort from the love of God that was demonstrated in him sending his son. Not only that, he follows up and says, any participation in the Spirit. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit of God comes and indwells the life of every single believer. You have every bit of the Holy Spirit you're going to get at the moment of salvation. And the Holy Spirit of God is daily, constantly at work in your life and in my life to sand off the rough edges and to rearrange the priorities and to bring us into alignment with the image of Christ. And so Paul says, since we have encouragement in Christ, since we have the comfort of love, and since the Holy Spirit of God dwells within us, and he's going to add a fourth one here, and since we've experienced affection and sympathy, Notice what he says in verse 2, complete my joy, complete my joy. As a parent, you've experienced this phrase play out in your life, I'm absolutely confident. For you with your kids, there is a longing and a desire to see them do what you want them to do, isn't there? Now, sometimes you have to beat them to make them do it, right? Amen, ouch, yeah? 
But deep down, the longing is we really want them to do the right thing. We really want them to pursue the Lord in their lives. We really want to see them succeed in life. We have that desire. And when we experience them taking those steps, it brings joy into our lives. And Paul says to this group of believers, after laying out for them the foundation, after laying out for them the the motivation. He says, now in light of what Christ has done for you, in light of the spirit dwelling within you, in light of you being recipients of the love of God, of being recipients of the affection and sympathy of fellow believers, in light of all that, complete my joy. Make me smile. When I hear of you, let my heart jump with joy. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. For this group of believers that Paul is writing to, this church that is in Philippi, his desire is that this group of believers operate together in one mind, he says, in one love, in full accord, and one mind. And if Paul were standing here before us today to North River Church, he would echo these same words for us. In light of what Christ has done for us, in light of the fact that we are recipients of the love of God, in light of the fact that the Holy Spirit of God dwells within us, in light of all of that, may we operate in this world as a group of believers collectively with the same mind, collectively with the same desires, collectively with the same heart. Paul says to this group of believers, this will complete my joy. If you want me to smile, if you want my heart to leap with joy, believers in Philippi, if I hear that this is what's going on, it will bring a smile to my face. Church family, as we think about the way in which we operate in this community collectively as a body of believers, my heart and my prayer is that this same thing would be true for us, that we would operate with the same mind, not uniformity. We are all distinct people. We are all given different gifts. That is part of the body of Christ coming together, but we have the same motivation, the same desire, the same heartbeat. Well, what is that? In fact, you could say about these first two verses that Paul is really setting up these believers in the way. He's saying to them, look at what you have in Christ. Now, in light of that, here's what you need to do. Parents, you do this with your kids. When it's time for them to clean their room, 
You look them in the face and you say, you have everything that you need to clean up your room. You have the box to put your toys in. You know what I've asked you to do when it comes to that. You understand that. And you know on the back end of it, if you don't do it, what's going to happen? You have everything that you need. And then you look at your kids and you say, clean up your room, right? This is what you're supposed to do. And Paul is looking at this group of believers and saying to them and to us, we have everything that we need to operate in this world single-minded. Now here's what that looks like. Beginning in verses 3 and 4, if you're taking notes, write down this truth as believers. We have the clear path described to live a life of humility. What does it look like to imitate Christ when we think about living a life of humility? Well, Paul is going to outline for us in verses 3 and 4, four aspects of that. First, in verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Now you look at that wording and you think that's the exact opposite of what the world tells us to do, right? The world says, pursue your own selfish ambition and who cares who you have to step on to get where you want to go. But here he says, selfish ambition, that is a desire to achieve, to accomplish things, not for someone else's benefit, but ultimately for your own praise and your own fame. But notice the second part of that, he says, also from conceit. And that's not simply looking to accomplish something for your own means, but that is the way in which you operate in the world. Do you sit back a bit smugly and think, I'm the smartest person in this room. And it doesn't matter what room you're in. You are a big deal. And people just need to see that. And for Paul here, he looks and he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But what's the second part there? But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. In fact, you could take that walking into a room What's your mindset when you walk in there? Is it, here I am. Here I am. Or is it, there you are. Primarily concerned with someone else instead of yourself. Let me just put it practically for you. 
I was talking with one of our guys this morning at the door about the fact that he just does not get on I-75. Makes perfect sense, right? But think about this. When you are in the right-hand lane in I-75 and you have a lane merging, right? What's your thought process? I am going to put less than an inch between me and the car in front of me so that that person is not able to get in. Is that your mindset? I mean, is it I've got somewhere to go? I'm not creating space for them. Now, I'm not saying for you that you need to look and say, I'm going to let every car come in and just stop traffic there. But are you primarily concerned with you or are you primarily concerned in life with someone else? In fact, in verse 3, that's exactly what Paul says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look at verse 4. Here's the third one. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. Not primarily to your own interests. Now, here's the thing. In life, you have to be concerned with your own interest as you work through life. But notice the follow-up to that. But also to the interests of others. If we're going to live a life of humility as followers of Jesus, Paul is outlining for us here, this is what it looks like. And if the Christmas story is anything, it is the story of humility on display. Now, you may look at this and you think, well, man, if I do that, people are going to absolutely run over me. And Paul's encouragement in this is not to be a doormat, but his encouragement in this is to look as a follower of Jesus for how you can serve other people. In fact, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. It's exactly what Paul outlines for us in verse 4. Let me ask you this question. What would it look like for you to live out as a follower of Jesus, verses 3 and 4, in your workplace? What would that look like? What would it look like in your workplace to be primarily concerned, not with your own selfish ambition or conceit, but primarily concerned with others? What would it look like for you not to only be interested in what you are going to be able to do or to accomplish or to get, but you are interested in helping someone else accomplish what they desire to accomplish? Let's take it out of the workplace and let's put it in the home. Look at your spouse and ask the question, 
What would it look like if I were to live this out in our home? Say, Pastor, you're pushing a little bit this morning, right? But no, what would it look like? What would it look like for you to wake up every single day, think about this, with the mindset as a husband, I want to do everything I can today to serve and to put the interest of my spouse and my kids ahead of my own. That's what I want to do today. Do you think your wife and your kids are going to look at you and say, that's, that's not good? They're going to look at you and say, we want that dad, that husband more. We like that guy. But kids, let me ask you that question. What would it look like for you to operate in a world where you're not primarily thinking that the world revolves around you? But how can you serve mom and dad? How can you serve and love your siblings? How can you be more concerned about what they want than what you want? So we think about that. We look and we go, well, that would change everything. That would radically alter our lives and the world in which we live if people operated like that. And Paul says, exactly. That's what I'm trying to tell you to do. And as we think about that, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had someone who showed us as an example how to do that perfectly? Who was the model as we think about living in humility that we could look at and say, oh, that's how we do it. Paul says, no problem. In fact, as you look at verses 5 through 11, Third truth we see as believers, we have the perfect example provided to live a life of humility. Notice verse 5. After laying out for us those action steps, this is what it looks like to live in humility. He says in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's not saying, I hope you could live this out. He says, no, this is available to you. A life of humility, a mindset in imitation of Jesus Christ. It's available to you and to me as followers of Jesus. Notice how he describes this in verse 6. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God or in the very essence of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We said last week in John 1.1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, Jesus Christ. Christ, the second person of the Trinity involved in the very act of creation, takes on flesh and comes and dwells among people. And Paul, in these verses, showing us 
what it looks like to live a life of humility, looks at Jesus and says, that's exactly what he did in the incarnation. In him taking on flesh, he says here, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Not he emptied himself of his deity being fully God. He did not do that, but for a season, he laid aside all of the rights and the privileges that he deserved from being God. And it says that he took the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. If we want to see humility on display, we see it in Jesus coming as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. We see it not only there because he continues and he says, and being found in human form, verse 8 He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Not only did Jesus demonstrate humility and stepping aside from the privileges and the glory that he rightly deserves when he came to this earth and take on flesh, but he says as well, in addition to that, He took on the cross. He became obedient to the point of death. What type of death? Death on a cross. The Old Testament lays out for us how horrific and how shameful It would be for someone to hang on a tree. And yet, Jesus demonstrates for us what it looks like to live a life of humility in that moment of taking on the cross for us. Maybe here this morning, and for you, As we talk about Jesus coming as a baby in Bethlehem, as we talk about Jesus taking on sin and going to the cross and laying his life down for us, I want you to know this morning that that is the only way that salvation can be extended to mankind. Jesus' life, Jesus' death, The good news is it doesn't stop there. I want you to notice verse 9. Therefore, in light of these two acts of humility, one of stepping out of heaven and coming to earth and taking on flesh, the second in taking on sin and going to the cross and laying his life down, I want you to notice that he says in verse 9, Paul says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. See, because the incarnation was followed by the crucifixion, but hear me this morning, don't forget, it was followed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The hope for us as believers that we have 
is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And if you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, I want you to know that is the only hope that you have to be forgiven of your sin and to be brought in to the family of God. Paul concludes in verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul says, believer, if you want to know what it looks like to live a life of humility, look at Jesus. Don't look around you. Look in the face of your Savior. See what true humility looks like. But remember, That that humility demonstrated by Jesus in the incarnation taking on flesh and in the crucifixion taking on sin and laying his life down for us was followed by his exaltation, his resurrection. And we see his return. Because there will be a day, Paul writes... Where the humility of Jesus Christ that we have seen in his life and his death will be, as he says here, shouted from the rooftops from every single person. That every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you have bent your knee. You have declared that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. You have the privilege and the opportunity through Christ in you at work, the Holy Spirit enabling you to live a life, not perfectly in humility, but hopefully growing in humility so that it transforms your world and the world around you. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus this morning, I want you to know that there is a day coming When this humble Savior, who stepped out of heaven and took on flesh, who took on sin and laid his life down, paying the debt that you and I owe, there is a day coming when he will return in all power and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You have the opportunity to do that today and to not wait. I want to ask you if you would bow your heads with me this morning.
with heads bowed and eyes closed. You may be here today and not a follower of Jesus yet. And yet you've seen this morning and you've heard that salvation, forgiveness of your sins is possible through Jesus Christ's life, his death, and his resurrection. And this morning, you have an opportunity to bend your knee, to declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. I can't think of a better time, a better season to take that step this morning. I want to encourage you, if you've not yet done that, if you'd like to speak with one of our pastors, we'd love to speak with you. If you're ready to take that step right now in a heartfelt prayer between you and the Lord, you have the opportunity simply to acknowledge that your sin separates you from God and your only hope is Jesus Christ. And today, you place your faith and trust in Him for salvation. that's a step that you've taken, a step that you need to take, we'd love to talk with you more about that. If you are already a follower of Jesus this morning, you have seen His humility. And you have heard the calling for us as believers to imitate that in this world in which we live. And this is an opportunity for you before the Lord simply ask Him to grant to you that humility that you see in Jesus Christ. That it would transform your life, your marriage, your workplace, this community in which we live. That you would say, leaving today, God, give me humility so that I can honor you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it magnifies the reality of who Jesus Christ, our Savior, is. And God, it sets for us the example that you've called us to follow, to imitate. So God, would you strengthen us as believers today? that we would see our lives, our marriages, our workplace, our relationships, this community transformed because of the humility that we live with in our lives. God, would you rescue sinners today who need to be saved from their sin? We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you stand? As we sing, our altars open, our pastors are down front. You respond this morning as the Lord leads.